are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Second Chronicles, if you would, in your Bibles, book of Second Chronicles and chapter number 6. Second Chronicles, chapter number 6. It is my pleasure to bring to you tonight the Bible study as we continue with Christ and His church. And tonight, the Bible study is on the subject of the assignment for the church. The assignment for the church. Would you join me there? In 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 32, King Solomon is praying the prayer of dedication for the temple. And in verse 32, he prays concerning the stranger. I want to come to you tonight on that subject of the church and our assignment as it concerns the lost. 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 32, if you would, there in your Bibles. It says, Moreover, concerning the stranger, Solomon is praying, which is not of thy people Israel, but is come from a far country for thy great namesake, and thy mighty hand, and thy stretched out arm. If they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from the heavens even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth may know thy name, and fear thee, as doth thy people Israel, and may know that this house, which I have built, is called by thy name. Tonight as we come to the subject of Christ and his church and the assignment of the church, I want to come to you on behalf of the stranger for whom Solomon prays here. God's house has always been a place of, of worship, a place of sacrifice, a place of service. God's house has also been a place from which His great name would be proclaimed to the, the world. I want you to follow with me in your mind this stranger who does not know yet the God of Israel. Oh, he's heard about this place. He's heard about the God of Abraham. This stranger has heard about the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's heard about the worship that takes place in this house since the times of his father Japheth. The Gentiles have known that these are a peculiar people. These are a different people. These are a called out people. And that they are a people in, with an assignment to worship the God of their fathers and to follow the light and to be the light to the world. You will always find these Gentile people following nearby behind the Jewish people. As you look throughout the scriptures, you'll see them following closely behind because they know that the light will come from the Jewish nation. We would be called by different names in the Bible. In Deuteronomy, Moses would call us the strangers that are among you. Moses would call us a foolish nation. We were called those people who are not a people. We knew we were not the chosen but we knew who was. We knew who had the light. We followed closely behind them, seeking for that light. Isaiah prophesied about our forefathers that we would settle in a place looking for the light, in a place called Galilee of the nations, or Galilee of the Gentiles, you may know it as. 
In fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus Christ would begin his earthly ministry in that region of Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles. He would come as the light that Isaiah prophesied in the Old Testament, and he would be the light to whom the Gentiles sought. He would come there to that region where two nations converge, the Jews and the Gentiles. And from time to time, he would travel across the Sea of Galilee to a place that we know of as the Ten Cities or the Deca Cities, the Ten uh, Metropolis area, the uh, Decapolis, we call it in English. That region where the Gentiles had settled. And he would go there and he would shed the light on those people who had come there seeking for the light. He would cast out demons in that place. He would cast them into the swine. You remember that story. You've got to understand, Jews don't herd swine. Gentiles do. That was a Gentile region. And he would heal that deaf and mute man, you remember, in Decapolis, that Gentile region. Thousands would come to Christ in that area, uh, in this Gentile, pagan, heathen mission field. Because as Isaiah prophesied, the Gentiles would seek after that light. Solomon, in his opening prayer of dedication and consecration for God's house, he would pray for us. He would pray for the stranger. He would pray concerning the stranger that would hear from a far land of this place. An invitation was given to the Gentile to come and worship God in this place. The Gentile knows now that he has access to the God of the Jews. As we come to our Bible study tonight, I want you to draw your attention to the stranger that is among us, the stranger from a faraway land. And it has always been God's purpose from the beginning of time for that stranger to know about God's love. It has been God's purpose and the assignment for God's people for us to shed the light on others. We come to the story of Solomon. Solomon builds the temple and the walls are built. The brazen altar was prepared. Those marble pillars were raised. The cedars are brought from Lebanon by the way of the sea. Then they're transported from the Mediterranean coast up about 2,500 feet above sea level to a city on a hill called Jerusalem. The Bible says that no sound of a hammer or an axe or a chisel or any instrument was used because that was a holy place. They pre-cut and prepared the stone in a quarry outside the holy mounts. The wood was prepared outside of the temple mount because no sound of a hammer or chisel or saw was to be heard in that holy place. For seven years, they build in silence because it's a holy place. Six days a week, 153,600 laborers cutting the stone, building the house of God, now we come to the week of the Feast of Dedication of the Temple. The king assembles all of the elders of the nation of Israel. He assembles the heads of the tribes. He assembles the leaders of the children of Israel to this holy mount. The king has summoned everyone to Jerusalem for this dedication time. The Levites come. The holy vessels are brought in. The Levites bring the Ark of the Covenant the very presence of God would now dwell in this holy temple. They bring the Ark of the Covenant into the holy place, the Holy of Holies. It's protected under the wings of these two cherubims. The priests and the Levites 
come together, the Levites who were singers directed by Asaph, that leader of the mighty choir. 120 priests play the trumpets. We have harps. We have cymbals. The instruments of music, the Bible tells us that David prepared for this dedication time. Now Solomon, can you see him? He comes and stands before the congregation. He stands on a platform that is eight feet by eight feet, raised above the people. At least, we believe, 250,000 people have come to this place to worship. Solomon begins to pray what we know of the prayer of dedication and consecration of this house. And for two chapters, we see that prayer. Then we see God's response to his prayer. This is where we find our text today. Solomon in his prayer of dedication for this great house that would cost in today's economy 150 billion U.S. dollars. Solomon does not leave out the stranger. Solomon prays concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel. This man who would journey from afar, having heard of the light... He's heard of thy great namesake and thy mighty hand and thy stretched out arm. And Solomon prays that if he comes to this place and he prays to the God of Israel, then he says that thou wouldest hear from the heavens. This house was to be a place where the stranger, where your and my forefathers could come and draw nigh to God. It was to be a place that would proclaim the good news of the gospel to the heathens. The temple was not only a place of prayer for Israel, but it was a place for prayer by Israel for the heathen nations. Jesus would say about this place in the New Testament that it was called a house of prayer for all nations. You and I are invited to worship the God of Abraham. We're invited to worship the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. We're no more strangers, the Bible says, but we are drawn nigh, brought in by the blood of Jesus. Paul would say about us in Ephesians chapter 2, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles, that at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, Paul says, Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and household of God. And ye are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jesus would come unto his own, his own would receive him not, but as many as received him. You and I are invited. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. We are no more strangers or aliens or foreign or uh, uh, strangers. We are now a part of the family of God. You and I today are a part of a church. No more aliens. No longer strangers. No longer foreigners. But we are brought into the household of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you and I are the fulfillment of the prayer of Solomon. What began with the prayer of Solomon was fulfilled on Calvary with the blood of Jesus Christ. When Solomon prays for God to heal their land, he prays for those who are not of their land. When Solomon prays for his country, he prays for those who are in a faraway country. 
Solomon prays for those who have heard about God and have come to this place from a faraway land. Solomon prays for those in the heathen lands who have heard the good news but have never had access to the house of God. Their gods are gods of wrath, but our God is a God of love. Their gods are gods of anger, but our God is a God of mercy. Their gods were gods of vengeance, but our God is a God of forgiveness. We go to the mission field today and we meet people who have never heard of the love of God. They've never heard of a God who forgives. They've never heard of a God who is not only the God of one nation, but the God for all nations. And while God intended for Israel to be one nation under God, He never intended to be the God of only one nation. Although God intended for Israel to be that nation under God, He never intended for Israel to be the only nation under God. It has always been God's plan for salvation to go to all men. From Rahab and Jericho to Ruth in Moab to uh, Naaman the Syrian to Nineveh and Jonah, God's forgiveness was not only for the religious. God's salvation was not only for the pious. God's redemption was not only for the good, but thank God He included us as well. Jesus came to reach the publicans and the sinners and the outcast. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And in His first sermon recorded in the Gospels, we read that Jesus introduces His ministry by saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. What began with that prayer of Solomon in 2 Chronicles 6, 32 and 33 is answered by Jesus in the New Testament. That prayer, though, could not be offered without a sacrifice. So then the sacrifice begins. Can you see it? They bring the oxen. 22,000 oxen. They bring the sheep. 122,000 sheep. Can you imagine the cleanup? Pastor Treber had been there. He'd get all the college students and all of the staff with power washers to wash it away. But can you imagine the cleanup? God is a God of order, and He instituted a method of a system of underground drainage system so that that crimson blood could go from the Temple Mount. It would go down to a valley that we call the Crimson Valley. In Hebrew, it's Kidron. Kidron is the color crimson red because as the blood flowed down into that valley, it would turn a crimson red. And now the glory descends. Would you look at chapter 7 and verse 1? Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, chapter 7 verse 1, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Three times in these first three verses of chapter 7, we will see that the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. The priest could not enter. Verse 3, the fire came down. The glory of the Lord uh, descended upon this house. They bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement. Seems like to me they were having an outdoor service. I guess, it's so, I guess God could still work in an outdoor service. It says that they worshipped and they prayed 
And they praise the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. May I say, that's what I need today. I need God's presence. I need the anointing of the Lord. My wife and I in our home, in our marriage, with our children, we need God's presence. Dear mother, may I say, that's what you need today. You're raising those children. You need God's presence. Dear father, don't try to raise a family without God's presence and God's power and God's help. But the glory did not come down because of the granite pillars of the marble floors. The glory of the Lord did not descend because of the gold furniture. No, the glory came down because their heart was prepared to seek the Lord. The veil was lifted. You can see it made of blue and purple and crimson and fine linen and the cherubims woven into that linen. But it was not the veil. As beautiful and ornate as it was that brought the presence and the glory of the Lord. It was the sacrifice. It was the worship. It was their adoration. It was the presence of God coming down to, to mankind. And that's, that now transitions King Solomon's temple to the house of the Lord. The glory of God comes. What we call the Shekinah glory. It would usher in a time of peace, a time of prosperity. This would now be the pinnacle of the history of the United Kingdom in Israel. The Levites and priests and the high priests and the king and God's people cannot enter this place because it's so holy. It was the presence of God. It is the divine touching the human. What we see in this passage is everyone standing in awe not of the buildings, but of God filling the buildings. We see the moment in time when the celestial touches the terrestrial, when the eternal touches the mortal, when the immutable God touches the immutable work of man. And man's work could not get, contain God's power. What impresses me about this text is Solomon's response. Solomon is concerned that they might lose it. And we see it in his prayer. What happens if we lose the presence of God? What happens if we lose what we have, dear church family? What happens if we're conquered? What happens if there's no rain? What happens if there's dearth and pestilence and sickness and destruction? God, I'm afraid, Solomon prays. What might happen if we fall into sin and lose what we have right now? I don't want to lose the presence of God in my life. Church family, I don't want to lose what we have right now. What God is doing, this spirit of revival, this spirit of refreshing, this spirit of renewal, we're heading into pastors and workers conference. Church family, can I encourage you, let's not lose what God is doing in our lives. I love God's reply to Solomon. God says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now for a few moments tonight, can I take you and show you what they did not see though? And here's the message as we wrap it up. There's something they did not see. They saw the buildings of the temple. They saw the furniture of the temple. They saw the beautiful pillars. Would you go to chapter 3 and verse 1 with me? What they did not see was what happened 
in this place before it was a temple. Chapter 3 and verse 1 of 2 Chronicles. Now, then Solomon began to build a house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. What God began with David's sacrifice here in chapter 3, God would continue with Solomon's prayer. What happened at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, you remember, was what happened in that previous generation. King David decides in the last chapter of 2 Samuel, he decides to number the people. It was a sin against God, and so God judged him for the sin. So God sends a plague and pestilence and disease and destruction. 70,000 men from the north to the south. And that death angel come, comes and stands at this place called the, uh, the threshing floor of Ornan. It's a place where they would separate the chaff from the wheat. It's a place of separation. And now sin had separated man from God. And a payment for sin must be made. The angel came to Jerusalem to destroy the people and, and the Lord said, It is enough, stay now thine hand. And so David knows that he must offer a sacrifice. So he comes and purchases this land and pays the full price for this land. And David there offers a sacrifice and the plague was stayed from Israel. It is at this place that the sacrifice was made to stop the death angel. It was a place where the punishment for sin was paid for. A place where God's victory over sin was made. And I asked myself the question, when David was paying the full price, did he recognize that his son would build on the territory that he bought? Did he recognize that he was paying not only a price for his generation, but a multi-generational price? that would not only save his generation, but impact generations to come. And I ask myself tonight, did David know that his son would worship where he worshipped? That he would build on the ashes of his sacrifice? That his son would sacrifice where he sacrificed? That his son would dedicate his life to God where he had gotten right with God? That his son would pray where he had prayed. David, do you realize that the price you're paying is not only for you and for your generation, but for generations to come? Dear Father, you're here tonight. Do you realize that what you're doing impacts not only you, but your children as well? Dad, do you realize that God can bring prosperity and success and blessing if only you would get right with God and stay right with God? Dear mother, do you see that God can take your trial and turn it into a blessing for your children? Dear church family, can you see what God wants to do in this place for generations to come? The full price that you pay is not only for today, it's for generations to come. And all that remains after David's sacrifice are ashes until we come to this generation. And what, day, what Solomon lifts up here is a great house of God. Someone lived for God in their father's generation and now they are able to. But I ask myself the question, did Solomon see it? Did Solomon's generation realize that they are building at a place of sacrifice where their fathers began to pray? 
that in fact this was the same place where Abraham would offer, come to offer Isaac as well in Genesis chapter 22. Did someone ever stop to realize we're building today on the work that God began in the heart of our fathers? They built upon the sacrifice of their fathers. I'm, I thank God for the heritage God has given me and my fathers and my grandfather 60 plus years ago going to the mission field and my father leaving the uh, pediatric practice here to go to Mexico. And I still remember when he would leave in that four-wheel drive pickup truck and go up to the mountains and take Bibles and, and medicine and scriptures and he would rent a mule and cross the river and go into those mountains and win men to the Lord and bring them back and train them. And now there are churches scattered in those mountain regions where he began to build. And now they are building some 40, 50 years later on the sacrifice that he began. Dear church family, may I say, someone sacrificed for us to have what we have. That Clyde Avenue property that we're privileged and honored to serve on was built because someone sacrificed. That property is used seven days a week and sometimes morning and night. You don't see it like I get to see it, but every day that property is being used. Your children and my children go to that property and they learn the Bible and reading and writing and arithmetic and science and music. They, love, uh, they learn to, to love God and country and they learn the Ten Commandments and they learn to pledge the American flag. The gospel is still going forth from that place every week. My wife and I believe that we're the most privileged people on earth to be able to serve in this place to be able to serve with our pastor, to be able to learn, and my wife is able to learn how to be a pastor's wife from our pastor's wife, to watch how they care for God's people and pray for you. And I study this ministry. And I know the sacrifice, church family, that you have made so that we can continue the work. We are building on the full price that you paid. We're building on the sacrifice that a generation before us has given to us. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.